Well, dads, we, uh, we're thankful for you. <laughs> thankful for all you mean to your families, and uh, just know we're praying for you. We just uh, ask that God would encourage you. Uh, as a dad myself, I know it's not always easy, but uh, keep your trust in the Lord and uh, keep seeking to serve your kids, uh, and God will honor that. So we're very grateful for you. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of James. If you weren't with us last week, we uh, transitioned from our year-long study in the book of Luke to, uh, to now our summer series in the book of James. And if uh, last week, if you weren't here, we were looking at uh, the topic of trials in life. How do we have faith in the midst of our trials? As we talked about last week, James is a very practical book. He's going to be dealing with a lot of real-life issues, real-life circumstances. And uh, so we started off looking at faith in the midst of our trials. Again, if you, if you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to check out our new church app. You can download last week's message. You can view it, the video of it. Um, I'm not going to say it was a great message, but the message of the word is a great message for us to learn as we go through the trials of life. So check that out. Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. Raise your hand. This is an audience participation question. Raise your hand if temptation has ever gotten you into trouble. All right, let me see. Raise your hand. All right, I, I should see every hand in the room right now. Okay. Well, I heard a story uh, just this uh, past week about a young boy, eight-year-old boy, who uh, was asking his parents to take him to McDonald's. He was uh, craving a McDonald's cheeseburger. This is actually a true story. It happened in Ohio this past year. Uh, and this eight-year-old boy, he was begging his mom and dad to take him to McDonald's all day. He, he wanted a McDonald's cheeseburger. But his mom and dad were like, no, we're not going to McDonald's today. And he was just totally disappointed because he was just craving McDonald's cheeseburgers. Well, it had been a long day, and his parents had been outside working in the yard all day. And right around 7, 30, 8 o'clock, they were sitting in their family room, and his parents fell asleep on the couch. And so this little boy, this eight-year-old who'd been craving McDonald's all day, he did what any eight-year-old boy would do. He grabbed his mom's smartphone and uh, looked up YouTube and watched YouTube videos for about an hour on how to drive. <laughs> and uh, so he watched these YouTube videos and uh, learned how to drive, went and got his mom's car keys, got his four-year-old little sister, loaded her up in the family minivan, and drove themselves about two miles down the road to the nearest McDonald's. Well, the, the staff at McDonald's, when this kid walked in, recognized, hey, something's up here, right? And, uh, and they ended up you know, asking him, hey, are your mom and dad here? And they discovered that this little boy had uh, taught himself to drive and had driven to McDonald's at 8 o'clock at night with his sister. When the police showed up, the police discovered that he had obeyed all the traffic laws on the way to McDonald's. He didn't hit anything. But, uh, but man, this, this kid, he wanted his cheeseburger. Well, he got his cheeseburger, but his parents got into a lot of trouble all because of this uh, child's temptation of wanting a McDonald's cheeseburger. Well, the reality is temptation has the way of, uh, a way of getting all of us into trouble at times. And, and James recognizes that. And so just like last week, dealing with a very practical subject, trials in life, today James is going to be looking at the reality of the temptations that we face in our lives. And, and James isn't exactly switching gears here moving from trials to temptation. You see, for James, it, it's a logical flow of thought in James's letter to those early Christians that he was writing to. Because what James understood was that trials and temptation 
often go hand in hand. Have you ever noticed that? When you're going through the trials of life, oftentimes that's when temptation seems to come knocking at our door and be most strong. I remember my first year in seminary. The summer after my first year in seminary was a difficult summer for me. I had been uh, working at Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie as a student ministry intern there for a number of years, uh, from college all the way through my first year of seminary. And and a student ministries position opened up at Wooddale, a part-time position. I was really excited uh, to apply for this position. I thought I had a a shoe-in. I'd grown up in the church. I'd been serving in their ministries for like three years. And uh, and I thought, hey, I was going to get this position. Well, lo and behold, uh, they ended up giving the position to another, another guy, a friend of mine. And I was just devastated. I was just, you know, I really wanted to have that position. Well, not long after that, a girl that I had been dating that previous year broke up with me. And then later that same summer, my dog died. And I'll tell you what, all of these trials, one after another, started piling up. And I faced the worst kind of temptation anyone could ever face. I actually thought about writing a country music song. (laughs) I lost my job, my girlfriend, and my dog. But in all seriousness, as all of these trials just kept cascading one after another, I, I, I faced real strong temptation. And, and the temptation for me in the midst of those trials went something like this. You know, God, if you really loved me, you would have opened up that job for me. You know, God, if you really cared, my girlfriend wouldn't have broken up with me. God, if you love me, why is my dog dying? Right? And I started thinking about all of these things that I deserved because of how much I had loved God and served God. And, and if God really loved me, he would have given these things to me. And so my thought went like this, God, because you don't care for me, I don't care about you. And this led to a period of wandering from my faith. I actually dropped out of seminary for a semester, moved out to California, lived in a beach house for six months with some buddies, and wasted my life partying because I bought into the lie that God didn't really care about me. Now, this morning, as we talk about the reality of trials and temptation, I want us to understand this very clearly. You don't need to be in the midst of a trial to experience temptation. Temptation is a common reality uh, for all of us each and every day. You don't need to be in the midst of a trial to face temptation. But friends, I can guarantee you this morning that you're sure to face temptation in the midst of your trials. In fact, in the Greek language that James originally wrote this book in, the word for trials and temptations is the very same word in the Greek, perazo. It's the exact same word, trials and temptations. In other words, James understood that these things go hand in hand. And so today in our passage, James wants to help us to overcome the temptations that are so common in life especially when we're in the midst of those trials, those periods of adversity. What I want us to do this morning is I want to read our passage, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. It's a short passage. But in this short passage, what we're going to see this morning is that James gives us three principles for how we can triumph over our temptations. So I want to read this passage, and then I'm going to come back and look at these three principles for triumphing over our temptation. Starting in verse 13. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It's a short passage this morning, but what we're going to find is that James gives us some very practical guidance helpful principles for how we can triumph over temptation in our lives. The first principle that I want to highlight for us this morning is James points out that we need to recognize the source of our temptation. We need to recognize the source of our temptation. Let me ask you a question. How many of you spent some time looking in the mirror this morning? Okay. What, what did you see as you looked in the mirror? Maybe a, maybe a face that needed shaving Maybe eyes that needed some makeup. Uh, maybe, you know, if you're like me, you know, with thick, wavy hair that needed combing, right? What did you see when you looked in the mirror this morning? Well, here in our passage today, James begins his lesson on temptation by holding up a mirror. He holds up a mirror to each of us, and he says, take a good look. And what we see when James holds up this mirror is that the blame for falling prey to temptation and sin lies squarely with us. We're sinners. We're fallen. We're corrupt. And we see that very clearly in this mirror that James holds up for us this morning. Now, here's the reality. None of us here likes to hear that this morning. Right? We, we don't like to hear about our fallenness. We don't like to hear about our sin and our corruption. In, in fact, we live in a culture today where taking personal responsibility for our flaws and failures is almost unheard of. People in our culture today pass the blame, pass the buck. It's not my fault, not my responsibility. But James says the responsibility for our temptation and our sin falls squarely on us. But one of the most common human responses to the truth here that James communicates is we seek to lay the blame for our temptation elsewhere. And as James points out here in verse 13, one of the most common common sources that we pass off our blame for our temptation on is God. We pass the the buck off to God. God's an easy target for our temptation like the personal experience I shared about earlier. Have you ever found yourself thinking, well, God, you put me in this situation. God, you made me like this. God, you gave me this struggle. And so we end up blaming God for our temptation. Now, now this isn't anything new to to our day and age. This This is as old as sin itself. You go back to the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden, they eat of the forbidden fruit and they realize they're naked and they go and they hide from God and God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, what did you do? You ate from the tree I told you not to eat from. And what did Adam say in response to God? Genesis 3 verse 12, he says to God, the woman you gave me made me eat this. The woman you gave me. God, if you wouldn't have put this woman in the garden with me, I would have never had this trouble. Right? We can relate, guys, can't we? Right? (laughs) But here's Adam 
passing the blame off on the woman, but ultimately, more significantly, blaming God. God, you put her here with me. And James wants to put this lie to bed right away in his letter. This passing of the blame for our temptation off on God. And so he declares emphatically here in verse 13, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now here in this statement, James is reminding us of a fundamental aspect of God's nature and character. See, friends, God is holy. God is morally pure. He is righteous. He is totally set apart, totally distinct from any sin, any evil, any wickedness. In fact, sin and evil have no part in who God is, in his perfect, righteous character. In fact, the the Greek word that James uses here literally means God is untemptable. God is untemptable. Sin and temptation cannot even exist in his holy presence. It's like if you had a five-gallon pail of water, right? And you took a jug of motor oil and you poured that motor oil into that bucket of water. What's going to happen? They're going to stay totally separate. That water and that oil aren't going to mix. You can get a wooden spoon and stir it up. You can put it in a blender. You can do anything you want, but that oil and that water will always stay separate because by their very nature, they are two different and distinct things. And that's how it is with with God and sin. God cannot tolerate sin in his holy presence. Now, now in light of this reminder of God's holiness, in verse 14, James then zeroes in on the true culprit for our temptation. Who's to blame? James says, it's our own evil desire. It's our own evil desire. God's not to blame for our temptation. We are. We're the culprit. Pastor Sam Albury, commenting on this passage, says this. He says, the uncomfortable truth is this. The evil desire tugging away at us is our own. We can't blame any of the things around us. It's not the fault of our parents, our peers, our circumstances, our genes, or our God. The fault is our own. I remember when I was 10 years old, we had a convenience store just down the road from our neighborhood, and a buddy of mine and I, we rode our bikes down to the convenience store. It was called Little Red. And uh, we went into Little Red and we discovered that they had started selling candy cigarettes. And as a 10-year-old, I mean, we were like, oh, that's cool. We got to get some candy cigarettes. You know, we wanted to be like the big kids that we saw smoking. You know, we could get these candy cigarettes. And, but the problem was is we didn't have any money. And so I went home and I said, hey, Dad, can I have some money? And my dad was like, no, you don't get any money. And I said, oh, man, you know, and so my buddy and I, we thought, what are we going to do? So we, we rode back down to Little Red, and we were just eyeing these candy cigarettes. And the clerk was eyeing us. And we were just looking for our opportunity. The clerk got distracted, and my friend Bobby and I, we each grabbed a pack of candy cigarettes. We stuck them in our pockets, and we ran out the store, and we rode off. We stole the cigarettes, the candy cigarettes. Well, we got home and we were in my backyard playing back in the woods behind my house. And, you know, we were pretending we're smoking our candy cigarettes back there. And my dad saw us out the back window of the house. So my dad comes out and he says, hey, boys, come here for a minute. We, you know, threw our cigarettes behind a tree. And <laughs> my dad said, what are you guys doing back there? I said, nothing. My dad said, well, Jason, I, I, I saw you guys with something back by the trees. What, what do you got? 
And I said, well, they're candy cigarettes. My dad said, well, where'd you get the money? I just kind of hung my head. And he said, well, where'd you get those candy cigarettes from? And I just bawled out crying. And you want to know what the first words that came out of the mouth were? Bobby made me do it. (laughs) Friends, passing the blame for our temptation and sin is human nature. Bobby didn't make me do it. It wasn't my parents' fault for not giving me money. It wasn't the store's fault for carrying the candy cigarettes. The blame for stealing those cigarettes was all on me. It was all my fault. See, understand this this morning. Your circumstances, your friends, and even the devil may provide opportunities for your temptation and sin, but they're not the cause of it. The cause of our sin is the evil desire that resides in each of us. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Some translations say the heart is deceitful and wicked. Friends, that's your heart. That's your nature. See, see, here's the question. Why, Why are we tempted by temptation? Have you ever thought of that? Why are we tempted by temptation? We're tempted because our hearts are wicked and deceitful. If they weren't, temptation wouldn't be an issue. But they are. And so we've got a major problem this morning. We're fallen, sinful people. Now, the good news is there's a solution to this problem. But before we get there, James is going to go on to warn us about the danger that we face because of temptation. Let's read verses 14 through 15. James goes on. He says, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So how does temptation do its damage? James says, We are dragged away and enticed. A better translation, in my opinion, is lured and enticed. James says we are lured and enticed by our evil desires. We're lured and enticed by our evil desires. Now, you fishermen here this morning shouldn't have any problem grasping James's warning. In fact, James is actually using a metaphor here from, from fishing and hunting. If you're a fisherman, you know that the goal of fishing is to catch a fish, right? But, but no fish is just going to bite an empty hook. So what do you do? You take bait or you take a lure and you use that bait or lure to hide the hook so that you present something enticing to the fish, but the fish doesn't realize that when they bite, inside lies the hook that's going to snare them and trap them. And that's what James is talking about here in this, in this passage. This is exactly how temptation works. Temptation appeals to our sinful desires. It presents something attractive looking to us, but it hides the fact that if we indulge, it's going to kill us. Friends, have you ever heard how Eskimos up in the Arctic hunt for wolves? You want to know one of the, the primary ways that Eskimos hunt for wolves in the Arctic? They take a sharp knife and they dip it in blood. And that blood freezes to the blade of the knife. 
And the Eskimos will then bury the handle of that knife in the snow and ice so that the blade covered in frozen blood is sticking up. Well, the wolf comes along and the wolf smells that blood. And so he approaches that knife blade and he licks the blade and the blood. But in licking the knife, the wolf ends up cutting his own tongue. But because it's so cold outside, the wolf's tongue is desensitized by the cold. And so the wolf tastes that blood and he just keeps licking and licking more and more ravenously, ultimately leading to his own demise. And in the same way, friends, this is exactly how temptation works. Wrong desires left unchecked ultimately give birth to sin. And if we continue to nurse those desires, they'll just grow stronger and stronger and they'll begin to consume us. And eventually, they will destroy us. See, here's what you need to understand. What you feed will grow. What you feed will grow. And it will become the dominant influence in your life. And if you're feeding and nurturing your corrupt desires if you're catering to thoughts and dreams that are rooted in your sinful heart and not in God's will for your life, friend, you're walking a very dangerous path. You're walking a path that leads to nowhere good. A few years ago, I was speaking for a men's retreat out in Seattle, Washington. Some of you guys remember uh, Dr. Carl Payne, who's spoken here at our church. He had invited me to come speak for his church's men's retreat. One evening at the retreat, I was speaking on this very topic. After my message, a man came up to me. His name was Steve, and Steve had tears running down his cheeks. He said, Jason, you need to keep warning guys. You need to keep telling this message to guys, warning them about the danger of temptation. He says, temptation took everything from me. I said, Steve, tell me what happened. Steve said, five years ago, Jason, I lost my job. I lost my marriage, I lost my kids, I lost everything. Steve said that he had been addicted to pornography. He said he would stay up late at night looking at pornography. He would look at pornography at work. He'd look at pornography on the bus on the way to work. He said the pornography ultimately led him to start visiting strip clubs during his lunch break. Then he'd go home at night and he'd visit online chat rooms. And ultimately... As he fed his sinful desires, he eventually got so far as to visit prostitutes. His boss discovered pornography on his computer at work, and he lost his job. When his wife found out about the depth of his depravity, she left him. She took their kids. He had to sell his house because he didn't have a job anymore. He lost everything. He said, Jason, I wasn't even happy but I was consumed by my lust. I was a slave to my sin. Friends, you need to understand this this morning. There are no exceptions for the life that pursues sinful desires. You will never find real and lasting joy and peace walking outside of God's will for your life. You might find a path that appears pleasant for a season, but I guarantee you it'll lead to misery. James says, sin gives birth to death. God couldn't have made it any clearer. Sin gives birth to death. We need to take that warning seriously. 
Now, up to this point in our passage, James has revealed the source of our temptations, and he's revealed to us the course of our temptations. But James also in this passage today offers us help to triumph over our temptations. This is not just a warning. James says there is help, and there is hope in the midst of our temptations. This leads me to point number three this morning. James tells us that if we're going to overcome our temptations, we need to employ a stronger force. We can't do it on our own. We need to employ a stronger force. Three weeks ago, our family was up at our family cabin in northeast Wisconsin, and my brother and his family were up there. And, and my brother Jared and I, we were putting in our dock out into the lake. And uh, we, have a, we have one of those docks. It's an aluminum frame dock, and it's got wheels, so it rolls into the lake really nice and easy. But it has these heavy boards, these heavy deck boards that we have to lay out to, to walk on to get out on the dock. And, and these deck boards are heavy. I mean, they weigh probably, I don't know, 50, 75 pounds each. And we laid these out on the dock, and we had it all set up ready to go. And then we realized, oh, man, it's a little low to the water. And we were like, oh, we, we're, we need to raise this. It, the water's going to come up like it does every summer, and let's just get it done. We need to raise it up. So my brother and I, you know, we, we do, you know, what guys think they're going to do. We think we're going to haul this thing out with these, you know, 10 or 12 heavy deck boards on it. It now weighs about five, 600 pounds more than it did when it was just the aluminum frame. And so my brother and I, we start pulling on this thing, and we're like, we're not getting anywhere, right? I mean, we're killing ourselves trying to pull this dock in with these heavy wooden deck boards. And so instead of, you know, doing the logical thing and just taking them all off, we thought, what can we do? And we said, well, let's get some more force behind this thing. And so we got Caleb, and Caleb got on our riding lawnmower, and we tied a rope to the back of our riding lawnmower and tied the rope to the frame of the dock. And then my brother and I lifted, and Caleb pulled that dock right out of the water, all because we used a stronger force to help us get that dock out. And friends, in the same way as that lawnmower and the force of that lawnmower gave us the force that we needed to pull that dock out, James tells us that the key to overcoming our temptations, the key to triumphing over our temptations is to employ a stronger force. We need to turn to God in the midst of our trials and temptations. And look at these incredible promises that James tells us about who our God is in verses 16 through 18. James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, now here in these three verses, James reminds us of four powerful truths about God that make all the difference in the world when we're faced with temptation. I call these this morning temptation-taming truths. And if you'll remember these four truths and apply them to your life in the midst of your temptation, I promise you, you'll be able to face down temptation and ultimately triumph over your temptation. But you need to hold on to these four truths that James reminds us of here. Number one, James reminds us first and foremost that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. James says he is the father of heavenly lights. Friends, don't ever forget, the God of the universe is on your side. What an incredible promise that is. The God who made the sun and the moon and the stars, he cares about you. 
And you need to understand this this morning. There is not a single moment of your life that he is not intimately aware of. There is not any circumstance that is outside of his providential care for you. He knows your trials and he knows your temptations. And more than that, if you'll turn to him in faith, he offers you his sovereign power to overcome all temptation. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Paul tells the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul's talking about overcoming temptations in that chapter. He doesn't say pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. He doesn't say, hey, suck it up. He doesn't say get with the program, buddy. He says, no, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Friends, you have the resources of the Lord of the universe at your disposal if you'll simply trust him by faith. God, the Father of heavenly lights, is on your side. You're not in this battle alone. So trust him, lean on him, rely on his source of strength, and he'll help you in the midst of your temptation. Secondly, James wants us to remember that God is good. He is good. Every perfect gift is from above, James tells us. Not only is God all-powerful, but James reminds us once again that God is so very good. And all of his gifts are perfect. Where did James get this idea? Friends, remember who James's brother was. James's brother was Jesus. And what did Jesus tell us about God's goodness? Well, one example for this morning, Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Jesus told his disciples, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Friends, fathers, man, none of you this afternoon when you go home, and your kid starts telling you, hey, Dad, I'm hungry. What are we going to have for lunch? None of you is going to be like, hey, go outside and find a stick to gnaw on. Right? I mean, you guys are a bunch of lousy sinners. And none of us here are as lousy sinners would do that to our kids. And Jesus says, look, if you wouldn't treat your kids that way, how much more will your good and loving Father in heaven care for you and provide for your needs? So ask him. Ask him for help. Friend, are you battling temptation in your life? Then ask your heavenly father to help you and he'll give you that help. Why? Because as that Chris Tomlin song says, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. Thirdly, James reminds us that God is faithful. He does not change like shifting shadows. The other day I was reading a book out in my front yard, laying on my zero gravity chair, and I had to keep moving every half hour because the shade of the tree I was sitting in kept moving on me. I was getting so frustrated. I had to keep moving because the shadows kept shifting. But James reminds us here that God doesn't change like the shifting shadows. God is unchanging. And because of this fact, he is infinitely trustworthy. What does that mean when it comes to triumphing over our temptation? Three things. Number one, we can trust that God's character will be consistent. God is always going to be a God of grace and a God of love and a God of goodness and righteousness. He's never going to change. You don't have to worry that God is going to turn into some vengeful, vindictive, evil figure. 
His character will remain consistent. Secondly, because God does not change, we can trust that his word will be a trustworthy source of guidance. God's word is timeless and eternal. The truths that he's given us here to guide us through life, friends, these will always apply. These will never go out of style. Friends, our culture may change, but God's truth never changes. So trust in it. Rely on it. Let it lead you and guide you. Thirdly, this morning, we can trust that God's promises will be fulfilled. When God says that when we come to him by faith and confess our sins, he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us, even in the midst of temptation, that promise remains trustworthy and true. When God tells us that one day he is going to come and he is going to eradicate sin and temptation and evil and wickedness once for all time, we can know with certainty that that promise will be fulfilled. Friends, what a blessing to know this God. What a privilege that God cares for us. And we can trust him because he's unchanging. Fourthly, James reminds us that God is gracious. James says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now, James has already told us here that every good and perfect gift is from above, but there is no gift so great as the gift of new life available to us in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this about this gift, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, James tells us that he chose, God chose to give you new life. Your salvation has nothing to do with your goodness, with your works, with your merit, with your effort. It's all about God and his grace offering you this free gift that you have to just simply receive by faith. God chose to do this for us because he loves us. He saves us by his grace, not by our own efforts. And so, friends, we can face temptation with confidence because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if God is gracious enough to save us from our sins, you've got to be certain that he'll see you through your temptations this morning. Now, some of you might be here this morning and you might be thinking to yourself, I'm not sure that I've ever received this gift that you're talking about here, Jason. I don't know that I've ever received this gift of salvation that that you say Jesus has offered me. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You might have gone to church your entire life, but, but you don't really know that you have an intimate relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing you got to understand this morning. All these promises I've talked about, how to overcome temptation, right? This extra source of power we have available to us in our God, right? All of these promises, they're only for those who are walking in a personal relationship with Jesus. See, if you don't have Jesus on your side, you're facing temptation on your own. And good luck with that. But God says he wants to empower us. He wants to help us. He wants to provide for us. But we need to embrace him as a friend in a personal relationship and ask him to come and and be a part of our lives. And you can do that this morning. If you're here and you're not sure that you've ever put your trust in Jesus, it's a simple matter of confessing your sin, telling God, I'm sorry, and asking him to forgive your sins and, and come and sit on the throne of your heart 
be the Lord of my life. And Jesus will do that for you. And he'll give you his strength. He'll give you his empowerment. And he'll help you as you face temptation in life. We need to hang on to these temptation-taming truths. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have not left us to battle temptation alone. But we have a sovereign God, a good, good God, who offers his source of strength and power as we face the temptations of life. Lord Jesus, I just pray for each of the men and women here this morning, for each of the boys and girls and the young people here this morning. We're all going to face temptation today. But Lord, help us to remember we don't have to face it alone, that we have the God of the universe on our side. Help us trust in you, Lord. Help us lean on you. Help us to draw near to you in the midst of our trials and temptations. And remind us, God, that you are faithful and you are good. And you are a sure and certain source of help. And so I just pray, Lord, for my friends here, whatever trials and temptations they're facing this morning, be with them, fight on their behalf, and give them hope. In the name of Jesus, amen.